I want to read from Job chapter 23, read verses 8 through 10. Reading in a familiar life, Job, a story that many of us are familiar with in Scripture. In that chapter, Job chapter 23, it begins with Job in great distress. Job is in a low place, a difficult situation. And that chapter begins with Job just wishing that he could find God in his situation because he desires to plead his case, to make his case known, to present his condition before God. But he says in verse 8, look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. And when he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he says in verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I want to talk to you here this morning about relentless hope. And I feel a hope in this. I, as we sang this last song and he made a way and I believe he's going to do it again. I believe that God desires to baptize somebody in this house with a fresh hope. A fresh hope in this house. Relentless hope. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your power, your presence, your anointing that we feel in this house. I ask you for the next few moments, God, to give me your words, to speak to the hearts and minds and spirits of your people. Anoint your word, God. Let this be a living word that will take root in hearts and minds and produce life in the days and the weeks and the months to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I believe the last time I was here some several months ago, I shared a bit about my family and some of the things that God brought us through. The fact that we went through a civil war in Liberia where uh, my parents were missionaries and and we we sat we we for the when the war first started there initially how we were trapped for some 17 days with very little protecting us from the outside and, and and the older I get the more I really can appreciate just how precarious our situation was and there was just thin doors and windows separating us from some of the most dangerous people roaming the face of the earth at that time and there were too many miracles in those days to talk about. I believe uh, the last time I was here, I, I talked about the waterbed and the miracle that God worked, the provision of that waterbed that was to sustain us during those 17 days. And it was also a miracle that, that neither side came into our home during that fighting. It was very intense and very close-quartered fighting. And it was a miracle that neither side came in to use our home as a vantage point. It was a, a two-story cinder block home, and it would have been a, the perfect vantage point to use uh, during the war. It was a miracle that when the one-time soldiers did uh, come into our home, that they did not do any uh, of the terrible things that they were doing at the time. I was, seven, I was 13 years old at the time, and, and I was really too young to fully understand or appreciate the gravity of our situation. 
In part, it was because of my age, but it was also in part because of a strategy that my father was using for those 17 days. We had to spend those days below the window level, try to uh, take advantage of whatever uh, protection the cinder block uh, might provide. And I remember every day we would lay on the floor and we would play uh, board games. And, and every time we would play a new game, uh, it was, yes, it was a welcome distraction, but, but there was also something my father uh, was doing psychologically. We would always uh, play a game, and every time uh, before we started a new game, uh, he would always talk about what we were playing for. And it was always a prize, something specific that we would receive whenever we got out of the situation. Now, as a father, I can put myself in my father's shoes, him alone with six of his children. And between the ages of four and 13, and the, the, the situation that we found ourselves in was, in retrospect, very unthinkable. But I realized that what my father was doing with this system of keeping score for what we would receive when we got out, he was instilling a hope within us. And we were just young enough to trust our father. We were just young enough to believe him when he said we were going to win something when we got out. And so every day he was taking our focus off of the things that were happening around us and he was redirecting our focus into what was going to happen after we got out. He was putting something in us that was saying it doesn't matter what happens today, we're coming out of this. It doesn't matter what the machine gun sounds like, we're coming out of this. It doesn't matter how many explosions uh, rock the house uh, today. Uh, we're coming out of this. Uh, there is hope uh, of tomorrow. Uh, the dictionary definition of hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. It's to look forward to uh, with desire and reasonable confidence. This hope is an optimistic state of mind uh, that's based on the possibility of positive outcomes. I read where Dr. Neil Burton, a British psychiatrist, says that whenever he received a new patient, the first thing he would ask them was what they hoped for. And he said he would ask them that because if the answer was nothing, then that was a sign of depression or perhaps something even worse. See, hopelessness is a dangerous condition because it opens the door for many other conditions. When you see the present as dark and bleak, and you don't believe that it can or ever will change. It will take you to a place of helplessness where you begin to feel like nobody or nothing can help you and that you can't help yourself and that not even God can help you. It can also take you to a place of worthlessness where you began to look around and you began to compare yourself to other people and you began to feel inferior. You began to feel worthless and you can find yourself stuck in this cycle of hopelessness and helplessness and worthlessness. And that's right where many people are in our world today because of the things that they're constantly bombarded with. News on the world stage, news on the national stage, news in your community, news in your own lives, your own personal situations, your own personal conditions, and everything can seem overwhelming, and you can begin to feel like your situation is beyond hope or beyond help. So in 2020, there were 1.2 million suicide attempts 
in America alone. 1.2 million suicide attempts in America alone because too many people are accepting that their situation is without hope and that there's only one way out of their situation. Let me stop here and say, if that's where you are right now in your walk, if that's where you are in your life, if that's where you are in your struggle, you need to act now. You need to reach out now. Don't be bound by shame. Don't be bound by fear. Don't be bound by guilt. Don't be paralyzed by the lie of the enemy that you're the only one dealing with that. If that's where you are right now, hear me this morning when I say I've not come to preach a message of condemnation. I've come to preach a message of conviction that there is help in the house this morning, that there is hope in the house this morning, that there's a hand that can reach into your situation and reach you right where you are and lift you up to where God wants you to be. There is hope in the house this morning. Uh, when David wrote Psalms chapter 3, he was in a difficult situation. He was king of Israel, but the Bible says his son Absalom had turned the hearts of the people away from his father and towards himself. And David was betrayed by the people that once were loyal to him. His son raised up an army, a superior army, and began to march towards Jerusalem to defeat his father. And so many people had turned against David that David had to run for his life. He had to take his remaining family and run from his own son and his old friends. And so the Bible says in Psalms chapter 3, this is where David is in Psalms chapter 3 verse 1. Where he says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But he says in verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. What I like about this, Brother Newton, is that when you read verse 3, David is not asking God to become a shield. David is not looking at his situation and saying, God, uh, please be a shield for me. Please become a shield uh, for me. Uh, but David is just stating uh, and confirming uh, that God is uh, his shield. Uh, David is saying, God, uh, you've been my shield, uh, and you're going to keep being uh, my shield. Uh, other people look at my situation, uh, and they say, uh, there's no hope for me. Uh, other people look at my situation, uh, and they say, uh, there is no help for me. Uh, other people say, uh, I'm so outnumbered uh, that I'm at the end uh, of my story. But David is saying, God, I know better. You've been a shield for me. You did it before, and you'll do it again. You brought me through before, and you'll do it again. God, you are the shield in my life. Uh, the word that's translated as four in verse three is perhaps better translated as about or around. And so that verse could better say, Lord, you are a shield around me. I believe there are some testimonies in new life this morning. 
Men and women who can look back over their life. Uh, I felt something in the Holy Ghost uh, when we were singing that song, uh, You Made a Way. Uh, I believe there were people in this house uh, who were reviewing their testimony uh, when my back uh, was against the wall uh, and it looked like things uh, were over. God, uh, you've been a shield uh, around me. Uh, you made a way uh, out of no way. Uh, you did it before, uh, and I believe uh, you can do it again. Uh, that's where my hope uh, comes from. Uh, that's where my trust uh, lies in. Uh, God, you are a shield in my life. You see, because biblical hope is different than the secular definition I read a few moments ago. Because biblical hope is not rooted just in optimism or wistful thinking or desire. The Hebrew word for hope is closely translated to trust. It's a word that's used interchangeably translated both ways at times. It's a word that means to trust and wait with expectation. You see, the hope that I'm preaching about here this morning is not centered on my optimism. It's not centered uh, on what I can see uh, or what I think or, or how I think things uh, might work out. Uh, but my hope this morning uh, is rooted uh, in my trust. Uh, it's rooted uh, in my trust in God. Uh, it's rooted uh, in my trust uh, in the word of God. Uh, it's rooted uh, in my trust uh, in the confidence uh, in the word and the promises uh, of God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 says uh, that it is impossible uh, for God to lie. Uh, and so we have a strong uh, consolation uh, and we can lay hold of uh, of the hope that's set before us. And it says this hope we have as an anchor for our soul. If you're here this morning and you know that you need an anchor, don't leave this house the way you came. The Bible says there is an anchor for our soul and it is a strong consolation that God cannot lie. His word is true. That is my hope. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 is a letter of instruction and prophecy to God's people who found themselves in captivity in Babylon. And so God gave them instruction as to how to live, how to survive, and how to even thrive in captivity. You read about it. God tells them exactly what they need to do to thrive in captivity. So he's saying, I'm not bringing you out right now. You're going to have to stay in that situation for longer. But I'm going to tell you how you can thrive in captivity. But he did also tell them that one day his people were going to return to Jerusalem. And so he said in verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. It says you're captive in a strange land. You're in a difficult situation far removed from home. It says you're in a bad place and you're going to have to stay there for a few more years. You're not being delivered right now, but I'm not going to leave you without a future. I'm not going to leave you without hope. So we read this morning, in the life of Job, the Bible says that Job was blameless and upright, that Job feared God and shunned evil, that Job was highly esteemed and was perhaps the most wealthy man in his entire region of the world. 
And then Job lost almost everything. Job lost all of his children. He lost all of his many possessions. He found himself in extreme mental and emotional pain. And then Job found himself in physical pain. The Bible says that sores covered his body from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And Job could find no relief from the pain. His wife told him to give up his integrity, to curse God and die. His friends told him that he must have done something evil to bring all this calamity into his life. And he had to repent for whatever he had done before God. Job did not have one encourager in his corner. Job did not have one person telling him he's going to make it. Job did not have one person holding his hand through his situation. Job agonized in his conversations with God. He agonized in his conversations within himself. He said he wished he had never even been born. He said he was in constant pain. He couldn't even sleep at night. And so we read in the middle of all of this, our text, in Job 23, verses 8 through 10. In verse 8, he says, look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Is there anybody in this house who can relate to Job in this circumstance? Who knows what it means to be in pain? Mental, emotional, physical pain. And it seems there's nobody who really understands where you are. Seems there's nobody who can really appreciate what you're walking through. And then it feels like you can't even find God in your situation. Seems that no matter where I look, I can't seem to find the hand of God in my circumstance. But then Job goes on to say in verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Uh, there's a psychology to that final statement. I shall come forth. In the very depths of pain, in the very depths of loss, in the midst of despair, in the midst of very real depression in the life of Job, Job had a, a relentless hope. He had a, a relentless hope that one day I'm coming out of this, that one day I'm coming forth, that one day this is all going to end. I'm not going to die in this despair. I'm not going to succumb to this circumstance. I'm not going to perish in this predicament. But one day I'm coming forth. Uh, I believe that if you've never established a firm conviction that you're coming out, it tends to prolong your stay in the situation. When you accept that there is no way of escape, you tend to prolong your escape. But I've come to preach a defiance into somebody's spirit this morning. I don't know what it is that you're walking through. I don't know what it is that you're facing, 
but I've come to preach a relentless hope into somebody's spirit. I'm coming out of this situation. I'm coming out of this. I'm not going to die in this circumstance. And why don't you go ahead and be like Job and say, I'm not just barely coming out, but I'm coming out as pure gold. I'm not just barely going to survive this, but I'm coming out with more anointing than I've ever had. I'm coming out with more power than I've ever had. I'm coming out with more authority than I ever had. I'm coming out stronger. I'm coming out better. I'm coming out wiser. When I come out, I'm coming out as pure gold. God. So Job said, I can't see him, but I know I'm coming out. In all transparency, I used to read this, pretty much stop reading there at verse 10, where Job says, I'm coming out. I've preached it. I've rejoiced over the faith, the hope in that declaration. But it was recently that I was reading this, and I began to realize that the very next verses give us the basis of that hope. It gives us the validation, the reason for that hope. Because after Job says, I'm coming out, in verse 10, the very next verse, verse 11 says, my foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Somebody needs to hear what I'm preaching here this morning. In the context, you begin to realize Job is saying, this is how I know that I'm coming out. I know that I'm coming out because my foot has held fast to his steps. This is how I know I'm coming out. I might not be able to see him, but I see his steps. I might not be able to see him, but I know his way, and I know never stop walking. That's how I know I'm coming out because I kept moving and I understand if I keep walking in his way. I understand if I keep being obedient to his commandments. One day I'm walking out of this situation. See, uh, Job said I can't see him, but he knows where I am. Job knows this because Job knows he's been walking in God's way. He knows the way I take because I've been taking his way and I have not turned aside. What I'm preaching here this morning is that what substantiated Job's relentless hope was Job's relentless walk. What validated Job's relentless hope was Job's relentless walk. In the face of loss, he kept walking. In the face of despair, he kept walking. In the face of discouragement, he kept walking. In the face of depression, he kept walking. In the face of pain, he kept walking. He kept obeying the word of God. Job is saying, I trusted God enough to keep walking in his way. I trusted God enough to be obedient to his word. I trusted God enough that in spite of what I felt, I was still faithful. I trusted God enough to say, God, you know where you're going to find me. 
I'm going to be in the house of God. I'm going to be worshiping. I'm going to be praising. I'm going to be faithful. I trusted God enough to keep walking in his way. God knows exactly where I am because I'm walking in his way. Uh, I'm preaching here this morning. Don't stop walking. Don't stop walking. Don't stop walking. Don't stop believing. I know it's not easy, but don't stop walking. I know you face depression, but don't stop walking. I know there's pain, but don't stop walking. Uh, I don't know what you might be walking through this morning, but I do know that there is hope in the word through There is hope in the word through. We have to walk through some things, but there's hope in the word through. The 23rd Psalm, the psalmist acknowledged, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But there's something in that psalm where the psalmist lets us know, but that's not where I'm going to stay. Because when he wanted to talk about where he was going to stay, He says, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I might have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm not going to stop walking until I get to the house of God. I'm not going to stop walking until I come through. I'm not going to get weary in well-doing. Don't stop walking. Don't stop being faithful because one day you're going to come through. My God, but I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. But in the meantime, don't lose heart. In the meantime, don't lose hope. Uh, I'm getting ready to close, but we live, yes, we live in troubling times. The Bible lets us know that these last days would be troubling times. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the Bible is talking about the end times. It says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, that when they say peace and safety, a sudden destruction comes upon them and they shall not escape. It's talking in this chapter about the last days. But then it says, but we are not in darkness, so this day will not overtake us. Then he says in verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The writer is telling us, yes, in the last days, all these things are going to be happening. But you that are of the day, you who walk with God are not without protection. There's a breastplate of love and faith I believe love and faith will guard your heart in these last days. Don't lose your love. Don't lose your faith. But I believe that there's also protection for our minds as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Doesn't matter what happens in this world, there is hope of salvation. Doesn't matter how bad things get, there is hope. Of salvation. If you're here this morning and you have not experienced biblical salvation, don't leave this house without the hope of salvation. 
You can be baptized in the name of Jesus. You can be filled with the Spirit of God this morning. And you can walk out of this house with the hope of salvation that's greater than any other force in this world. The good news is that hope will ultimately win. Our hope will stand the test of time and that our hope will last for eternity. Because the greatest manifestation of hope is an eternal hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know who God sent me to talk to this morning. I'll say it again. I don't know what situation or circumstance you're going through. But I do know that the enemy wants you to lose hope in this day and time. He wants you to lose hope. But I've come to preach a message. There is hope in this house. And I feel a revival of hope in the Holy Ghost. I feel a lifting of the Holy Ghost in this house. Can we stand all over this building? I've come to learn that if you hold on to hope, hope will hold you up when you need it the most. I'll say it again. If you hold on to hope, hope will hold you up when you need it the most. Hope will outlast every loss, every pain, every disappointment. It will not succumb to any situation. It will not submit to any circumstance because our hope is eternal. Our hope is everlasting. I'll say it again. Somebody needs a revival of hope. For there's hope in this house this morning. There's a hand that can reach into your life, can help you to get anything back. You can get your passion back, your purpose back, your ministry back, your smile back, your dance back, your song back. There is hope in this house. See, come on, receive that right now. Come on, take just a few moments and receive what God is trying to do in your life. Come on, take a few moments and be like Job to make that commitment. I'm not going to stop walking. I'm not going to stop walking because one day I'm walking out of this. I'm not going to stop obeying because one day I'm walking out of this and I'm going to come forth 
as pure gold. Uh, there is hope. Uh, there is hope. Uh, if you feel that way this morning, uh, why don't you step out? These altars are open. Uh, if you feel that way, uh, why don't you find a place uh, to say, God, baptize my mind. Uh, baptize my spirit uh, with a fresh confidence. Uh, baptize my mind. Uh, baptize my spirit uh, with a fresh hope. Uh, I'm coming out uh, as pure gold. Uh, I'm coming out stronger. Uh, I'm coming out better. Uh, I'm coming out uh, with more anointing uh, than I've ever had. Uh, I'm coming out this morning. Come on, there's hope in this house. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Uh, 